Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen. Well, if you have your uh, devices or your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. That's where we're going to talk about this morning, that amazing God and what he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 7 through 9, and then 15 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, and struck down, but not destroyed. And then we'll skip to verse 15. All of this, so all of these trials, all these struggles and sufferings and troubles, all of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is, re is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That's a real key verse. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and moment, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What I want us to, uh, to get a hold of this morning is that through our trials and troubles, there is the potential to glorify God in our lives. So there's always that potential through every trial, through every suffering, that God can be glorified in the midst of that. And the choice of how we respond to that and whether God is glorified or not is up to us, but the potential is always there. I think it's interesting that Paul refers to his troubles as light and momenta momentary. <laughs> and if you study the life of the Apostle Paul, it was anything but light and, and uh, momentary. He went through extreme suffering and was scourged, and we had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had been persecuted in all kinds of ways, uh, beat with a rod, and on and on. That was uh, kind of his life, thrown in prison uh, unfairly and falsely accused. All these things Paul went through, and how many would say that doesn't seem very light and momentary to go through those things? And, but yet what Paul is saying is a comparison to what God can do to use those things for his glory. These things do seem very small and, and very light in comparison. I want to share with you this morning um, kind of a, in this framework of what the scripture is saying. Take what happened to us eight weeks ago. And this happened to all of us in the church family uh, when Malore's heart stopped right here in this spot uh, on November the 17th. How many, I'm curious, how many were here 
in that, wow, everybody, <laughs> okay, way to go, you guys are consistent in church, yeah, and so, <laughs> and, and so we experienced this together, so this will be a healthy process just to be reporting the things that God has done since that point, because that was a very traumatic moment, and I think God can take and use this to help us in the healing process, and it helps me to talk a little bit more about it and just give God the praise and glory and looking back at uh, what we could call a light and momentary trouble in that moment. <laughs> and it would it's be safe to say that it was, that it was light and momentary, but it was, it was the scariest moment of my life by far. And what happens, Malore was getting up to read Introduce the scripture to start the gathering. And, and she just, uh, she said, she hadn't said anything yet. Uh, she said, it's getting dizzy up here and went over backwards. And it was that point when her heart had stopped. She had sudden cardiac arrest. We don't really know for sure uh, other than there's uh, kind of a funny rhythm in the lower part of her heart that it just kind of went crazy and stopped. Her heart just stopped. And so, so that was, you know, it was a very difficult moment. It was a reminder of how fragile we have this treasure in these jars of clay, these jars that break, and life is fragile. And it was that sudden reminder of how fragile it is as we went through that together. And, and there's been, it's been a, what I would say is a roller coaster process from that point to where we're at today. And there's been some, you know, three steps forward, two back in the healing and recovery process. And, and I won't give you all the, the details of the steps back, but, but there's been a few things that have been concerns and still a few more things. But, but overall, what I want to report to you is that passage of verse 15. Let's take a look at verse 15. All of this is for what? For your benefits. So we were kind of all thrown together into this moment, and God is not only using this in, in my life and my Lord's life, but in all of our lives. God is using this for what? For our benefits, for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow. And that is, that is where I'm at today. <laughs> that, and, and it's my heart is filled with tremendous gratitude. Tremendous gratitude. Thanksgiving is overflowing. And God is being glorified this morning. And, and so that's what I want to focus on. We're going to focus on four ways of how we see God being glorified in the midst of, of this time of struggle, this time that was difficult for all of us. God is doing some amazing things. And the first thing that I want to point out is God is always amazing. He is glorified through his perfect timing. Perfect timing. God is never late. He's never early. He's just always on time, right? <laughs> and and when, when he comes in to deliver, he's always on time. And when we have our trials, we can know that that he has allowed those things in his timing. We don't always understand the whys, and I'm not going to spend my life trying to understand the whys because I just don't think we're going to know the whys. But we can say, Lord, I look to you, 
and your perfect timing. When we look back at that day of November 17th, you know, immediately we started to ask the questions, what if, what if that had happened even a half an hour before when I was teaching in the seniors class or, um, or when Melora was driving or when she was watching grandkids by herself? You know, there's all kinds of scenarios to begin to kind of unwind that we think, oh, Jesus, thank you for your amazing timing of where that happened and the immediate response, the CPR was what saved her life. Bless your prayers. <laughs> Bless your prayers. You know, I thought, okay, there's two places that probably would have been good if that was going to happen. One would be at the hospital, in a really good hospital, and two would, would have been where it happened here. And, and what I had to stop and think about is if it had happened in a hospital, the chances of survival are still only about 25% uh, with cardiac arrest in a hospital, 26, something like that. But what we had here we had an army of prayers. You guys immediately went into prayer. And I am convinced that that made all the difference in the world was your prayers. And so we look at that and say, God, your timing is perfect. And for us to engage in this and, and for us to go through this experience together and then see God's hand, and, and it was all in your perfect time, and we are so thankful for those who, who came up and responded immediately, and, and the quality care of CPR, and the first responders, and we have yet, we're going to go and meet, I would love to meet those first responders who came in and helped us, and, and uh, helped restart Malore's heart, and all those things that happened in that process, to thank them, and have a testimony of what God can do. And uh, we're going to walk in there together and say, see what you guys did? You did a good job. But I'm going to come back to the prayer part in, in just a few minutes and talk some more about that because that's the key, God's timing. The second thing is God is glorified through his healing power. Through his healing power, and certainly that's, uh, so very true in this situation, his healing power. You know, the, the prognosis, if you just go with pure science, here's the data. This was difficult for me to research this, and I had to, I had to bathe myself in prayer before I started to look at all the, you know, the possibilities of what could have developed the normal prognosis. And this is from Science Daily, a study at the University of Arizona, uh, said this, more than 400,000 Americans experience an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest annually. So this happens quite often. Survival, statist survival statist statistics, <laughs> thank you, got a little lisp there, are bleak. Although approximately 50% of people who have arrest are revived after attempted resuscitation only about 10% of those survive to leave the hospital, 10%. Furthermore, 
half the survivors suffer some level of brain impart in, in, uh, some kind of um, impairment from the lack of oxygen. So, so that, and then the American Heart Association confirms that once again, 10% of out of hospital cardiac arrests survive. 70% uh, of cardiac arrests occurred home, and the rate is 6% survival. And then if you add to that the amount of time where the heart has not had a beat. So they had to shock Melora three times on the platform, and then her heart stopped uh, again in the aid car. They had to, to shock her heart two more times on the way to the hospital. If you take that into consideration, <laughs> we have an absolute miracle. An absolute miracle. <laughs> you know, the, the Lord is so good. He, he gives us that that confirmation, you know, as we go through trials. And I, I call them signposts. It's kind of like you're traveling across, you know, some, some road you haven't traveled before. And you're just wondering, am I going the right direction? And, and all of a sudden on the, the highway, there'll be a little, you know, where you're heading, uh, 100 miles away kind of thing. And it's like, oh, good. Okay, I'm heading in the right direction. That's encouraging, and, and I think God gives those little signposts to us just, just as an encouragement. Keep going. Keep trusting. On Sunday night, the night that the rest happened, uh, my daughter, Melissa, wave, daughter Melissa, <laughs> she, she took, she had, was going to do a race in Las Vegas that day, uh, a marathon, running a marathon, and I called her, and she came back as fast as she could and ran all the way back up here and, uh, <laughs> and got here. And, and then uh, she volunteered to take the first shift that night. And that was the first signpost that night. They began to take Melora in the, at Northwest Hospital and freeze her. They turned her into a human popsicle. And it's just amazing how they've discovered the, the chances of of, of improvement, of recovery is, is increased um, a lot. And so, so they, they brought her core temperature down to 91 and put her on ice, surrounded her with ice. And that night, heavily sedated, Melissa was singing worship songs. And, and sometime in the middle of the night, Melora squeezed her hand. And, and that was, you know, she's really starting to, you know, be pretty unresponsive to everything at that point. Um, it's, it's heavily sedated. And so Melissa said, Mom, if you intended to do that, do it again. And she did. <laughs> so that was a little signpost that God was working and we were hanging on to that that hope and your prayers were pouring pouring in and we were feeling those prayers in an incredible way 
on Monday afternoon, Monday evening, that was when Melora had been uh, brought to the coldest temperature, the most sedation. Um, she was non, no movement whatsoever. And I had a moment uh, when I was just by myself, because most of the time the kids were there and, and family were there. And I was praying, and I hesitate to share this moment because um, I didn't want any, I don't want anyone to think that I have, like, the healing thing all figured out, because I don't. I, there's times I have more questions than answers with healing. Why doesn't God heal more often? And so I've, I'm just like you. I've worked through that. And, but I want to share this because this is, I am just a jar of clay, but it is his all-surpassing power. And it was your prayers that I think were flowing into that moment. And I was praying for Melora. And I started to feel something that I have never felt before. And it was like this, these waves of electricity. And it's, it was like, it reminded me of the northern lights. It was just going all over, up and down my body. And, and as I was praying over Melora, this lasted about 10 minutes, I could feel power. I could feel a flow of that prayer of the power of God coming through me into Melora. And at that point, she was not moving at all. And she started to move her arm all over the place. It was restrained so she wouldn't pull out uh, her respirator. But she started to move her arm like, what is that? <laughs> like she was feeling that power. And I felt like I was drained after that happened. I felt like I had to sit down because it just had like drained me out. And I thought of the passage when Jesus was walking through a crowd and the woman with the issue of blood touched the back of his garment. And Jesus stopped and said, I just felt healing virtue, healing power flow from me into somebody else. Who was that? And I thought that was exactly what, what I felt at that moment. And from that point forward, we started to see in an amazing recovery that the doctors and the staff, they liked to come into Melora's room just to see that this works, just to see. And I, I hated to burst their bubble. The, the, the medical science was great. We'll take all that we could get. But it was way beyond that. It was God's power. And I, I believe it was your prayers that were flowing through me into Melora's healing at that point. And, and we didn't know how she was going to uh, come to, how she would respond once she started to, uh, they started to decrease. They started to heat her up after 24 hours, slowly, took another 24 hours. And she soon began to respond to questions and please squeeze my hand. Once the respirator was out, she could start to talk. And they were asking her, like, who's the president of the United States? And she said, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> well, okay, 
Uh, then she corrected herself. She said, no, it's Trump. Okay, so, so, so she, uh, she was starting to become aware. But, uh, you know, there was just those wonderful moments of seeing her start to respond more and more. You know, we weren't sure how much of Melora we were going to get back. And pretty soon we could see her giving people a hard time teasing and, and, and that spunk started to come back and her humor was back and, and she knew who I was and, you know, those things that they, they had warned us that it's very common for that person that have, has been through cardiac arrest to not recognize family and, and a long, slow process. And physically, she started to do everything they asked her to do. They were just absolutely amazed. And so it, it felt like we were just in, in the middle of God's glory in that hospital room. And we had several opportunities to share Christ with people around us. Other families going through their crisis. Ricky, who we did the memorial for, was next door. And, and we had a lot of chance to pray with a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people. And it was, God was glorified through that, that whole process. Number three, the third thing I see God glorified in, in all this is in this wonderful, amazing church family. <laughs> I love this church. We've been here on staff on the, helping uh, the lead pastors for 12 and a half years. And, uh, and it has been an awesome experience. We, we love this church family. And your response and your immediate response on the platform and, you know, just getting the emergency people here and getting us to the hospital and providing, you know, all the, all the amazing prayers that just started to ascend up together and having that Wednesday night prayer meeting and uh, all the food that was given to us. And, and we still have some of that food, like the snack bars and stuff. I'll be eating that for a year. And, you know, just that amazing outpouring of, uh, you know, the meals brought to the house and, and the angels who came up to the hospital, several ladies who came and took turns uh, being with Melora, that was, you don't know how much that meant to us. And going to, coming to the house, you know, we're still, um, Melora can't drive, and, and I don't want her to be by herself. So we still, it's kind of like we arrange nannies now for, <laughs> for Melora to come watch her. And, and so th there has just been such an amazing outpouring of support. This church is amazing. And I say thank you. Thank you for everything, most of all your prayers. But there's one, one particular thing I want to say about that is we have amazing shepherds, Pastor Dwayne and Stephanie, amazing shepherds. <laughs> I, wish, I wish Pastor Dwayne could be here to hear this firsthand, but... You know, what, what happens when a church family goes through a moment like what we went through, there's this opportunity for there to be a bonding that is, is extremely deep and rich. 
And, and I've been a lead pastor for, for 20 years, and it was in those moments when I could step into an ER room and be with the family through their tragedy, that created a bond that never goes away. It stays very strong. And we had, we've had that moment, we are having that moment here where I saw Duane and Stephanie, not only shepherds to us, but shepherds to this flock. Because there was concern on our part for you. I know that was difficult. One of Malora's first questions to me on about Wednesday was, what happened? And she knew she was in a hospital. She said, what happened? And I said, well, you had a cardiac arrest. Your heart stopped. And she goes, where? <laughs> and I said, well, it happened. I was kind of hesitant to tell her, but it happened to church because she doesn't have any memory of this. And um, she said, where? Where at church? I said, well, it actually happened on the platform. She goes, oh, those poor people. <laughs> that was her first response. And, and so we have this opportunity now to say, yes, we have gone through this together. And there's this tremendous bonding in this. And, and I know Duane and Stephanie's heart was like, how do we provide care and help? And there's still, let us know if there still needs to be anyone works through the trauma of that moment. You know, there's, it's very true. We go through trauma, and sometimes it's hard to let go of. And we still want to be here for all of you, and you have been here for me. And thank you, Pastor Stephanie and Duane, for your shepherd's hearts. And you, we've, we had a lot of... Uh, bad moments in the recovery, and you guys were always there for us, and thank you for that. This is, so God is glorified. So, so I guess you can kind of give yourself a little pat on the back there, but I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We are family, you know, and we're not some big uh, machine of, you know, cranking out a bunch of events and and, you know, a social club, we are a family. and We're going to cry together and laugh together and hurt together and go through these things. But it draws us closer to each other and it draws us closer to Christ. And I think that is happening in these moments. And number four, a little bit of teaching with this. God is glorified through his ultimate plans. And we see that over and over in this passage. God has ultimate plans and they're accomplished sometimes through our troubles. And we say, oh, <laughs> it would just be so much easier if we could read a book and learn all this. But, but God is doing some deep things in us through our suffering. I wrote in my notes, we're hard-pressed on every side. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. But we are never crushed or in despair or never abandoned or destroyed. We're knocked down, but we're never knocked out. And, and so we have that assurance that no matter what happens, that God is going to be glorified in the midst of that. And, and we can just, uh, we can take that to the bank, understanding God is glorified in the middle of my sufferings. Now, but there's three things that I think I want to encourage you in and how we need to respond. Because we can respond poorly, and then you don't grow, you don't learn. 
And it's just kind of a wasted opportunity. But here's how we can take these things that happen to us and say, God, help me to respond correctly. Number one, surrender. Surrender to him. It's, he is sovereign. It, and he is the one in charge. Aren't you glad it, that you're not the one in charge? And say, Lord, I, I don't understand this. Just pour out to the Lord. Tell him if you're angry or frustrated. He already knows what's in your heart. Just tell him that. Say, Lord, I don't get it, but I need you right now. I need to know that you are in control of everything in this situation. The hardest part of the, the journey besides the, what happened on the platform was that night, Sunday night. I didn't sleep at all that night, and I, I was home alone. I should have just probably stayed at the hospital, but I tried to get some sleep, and, and I was praying. And it was probably a good thing that I was home alone because somebody had heard me praying. They would have thought I was yelling at somebody <laughs> because I, I was praying and I was praying in my prayer language, and I was, it was a spiritual warfare kind of prayer. I was, I was going after it, and it was, it was long, and it was loud, and, and that was all I could do. That was all I knew what to do, was, is to pray like that. And it came to a point to where I was kind of worn out, and this is what I felt God saying to me. Do you trust me? And my first response is, yes, Lord, if you heal me, Lord, I will trust you. <laughs> and then the Lord pressed it a little further. No. And no, if I take her home, do you still trust me? And I had to, to mentally surrender and say, Lord, if that happens, I will trust you. I will trust you. What I felt would be almost like a load, a weight that was lifted off of me at that point to say, Lord, I, I, I'm not in control. There's nothing I can do. I can pray and I can trust you. And that's it. And so there comes that point of surrender you say, God, I have to trust you. The second thing we see in trials is to rejoice. And there's four key passages that you need to have underlined in your Bibles when it comes to going through trials. One of them is what we're sharing out of 2 Corinthians 4. And I'm going to share quickly the other three. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Here, Paul Refer, or this is Peter saying it is painful, a painful trial. Not so light and momentary, but it is painful. You're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Somebody look at that verse and say, oh, that, how do you do that? Whatever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then finally, Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, so there's that in all four of these passages, it talks about that overflowing thanksgiving, that rejoicing, consider it joy, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So those, those are anchor verses. Get to know those verses. Study them. Try to get them into your heart. Consider pure joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, knowing that God is going to do a deep work in you. Number three, so there's surrender. Number two, rejoice. Number three is to fight. Fight. Pray. Get mad at the devil. Start, start that warfare just saying, I'm not going to just give in. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to get the treatment I can, the medical treatment. I'm going to do all that. But yet, I know that ultimately this is God, and I have to trust him and push through those doubts and push through those struggles. Get to that point to where you can surrender and you can say, God, I can rejoice in you. It's interesting, the passage that Melora was going to read, Psalm 57, is really a warfare kind of prayer. And I want to just take a moment to, to just read this real fast. This is what she was just about to share before her cardiac arrest. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes, his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among the ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They, sp they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit for my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. I love that part of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for your great, for great is your love. Among reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And there's a lot of song, worship songs, in that passage, isn't there? You know, I, I think of that, that warfare prayer that fighting that God has told us, you know, when, we've, when we go through trials, just begin to pray and, and trust and push and, 
and don't just roll over and allow the enemy. Sometimes we just say, well, uh, you know, this must be my fate. But I think we always need to be praying and saying, God, do a great thing here. And we trust you no matter what. I think of when Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was a great king, and he was diagnosed with um, a symptom that was going to lead to his death. Isaiah came into his chambers, and he said, This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for, you're, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. I'm thinking, I don't want Isaiah on my care team. <laughs> Some bedside manners to work on there. So when Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, remember me, O Lord. So Hezekiah should, could have said, well, you know, Isaiah is a prophet. It must be from God, and I'm sick, and I better get my affairs in order. But he cried out, he fought, he said, Remember me, O God, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the courtyard, then it goes on to say, God spoke to Isaiah and said, Go back and tell King Hezekiah that because of his cry, because of his willingness to fight through this and pray, that I'm going to add 15 years. I'm going to heal him and add 15 years to his life. And I think that's a beautiful picture of, of searching for God and, and surrender to God and seeking him and fighting through and using medicine. And they, they put a paste on Hezekiah, but it was the prayers that, that did the complete job. And so what a wonderful picture of how God can use science and use uh, use the prayers of his saints and those, and just do amazing things in our midst. And we see that firsthand in how God has, has used that. So fight. Just begin to fight through this. We're going to conclude. And uh, I'll have the worship band come back up. Just a few things I want to point out. Verse 7 and then verses 17 and 18. There's three things I want to point out as we, as we bring this to a conclusion this morning. First of all, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. How many are jars of clay here today? Uh, some of us, you know, maybe a little cracked, a little worn out. But, but it's to show the surpassing power is from God and not from us. So I don't have any healing powers. I don't have any, any magic gift, but I know the God that I serve and what he can do. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. I just want to be near you, Lord, like we sang a little bit ago. What a wonderful picture. And so three things that I think we can take home. First of all, we have to ask the question, what's inside your jar? You see, because we are created to contain the divine, to create, we are created to be like, like him in that sense, in his image, to contain him, to have relationship with him. 
to invite him into our lives and to walk with him. And, and there's those that have never received Christ are filling their vessels full of something, but it's not Christ. It's not God's power. It's your power or, or your strength or your good looks or your wealth or whatever, but those things are going to wear out, and you're going to come to a point to where you realize your jar is empty. And without Christ, we are empty, We're empty jars. And there's not a lot of hope out there without Christ. And so I want to invite you today in this place that if you have never invited Christ to come in and be your Savior, it's just a simple prayer saying, Lord, I, I need you. You might not understand it all, but you just know that you've never received Christ and his forgiveness. It takes that step. It takes that surrender in your life. And so I just want to take this opportunity to give you that, uh, that, to say, Lord, I need that. I need that. I don't want to pass that up. I need that. Can, let's just stop and pray for a minute. Lord, if there's anyone here that is walking through life and they're doing the best they can, but they know that there's got to be more, there's got to be something better in this world. And they're sensing today that they've never received you, that hope and that salvation. Lord, I just pray that hearts would respond to you, that people would invite you in, just a simple prayer, say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want to walk with you. I want to fill me, Lord, with your joy. Fill me with your strength. Fill me with all those things, your salvation, your hope. Lord, this is a, this is a divine moment when we need to respond to that tapping of the Holy Spirit and allow God to come into our lives. He stands there knocking. Are you going to open the door? And now for those of us, we can look up now, those of us that have received Christ, what are we pouring out to others? You see, God has given us these things and these amazing miracles so that we can give him glory by sharing with this broken world. And we have that overflowing joy. We can't help it. It just comes out. We want to share. This is what God is doing. This is what he has done for me. And, and you have that hope in you, ready to share with those who, who have that question, what is different in your life? And, you, and so I encourage you, pour yourself out. Don't just contain it. Think, oh, I better be careful with this little bit of, of, of contents of God. And, and, you know, I might lose it. No, as you pour it out, God replaces. God fills it and, pour it and it overflows again and again. So I encourage you in that ministry of what God has given to you, pour that out. Our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Lives are being touched for eternity. And then finally, the third take home is keep filling the jar. That jar of clay, keep filling it, keep your eyes, it says, fixing your eyes on not what is seen, but of what is unseen. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I, 
I love that song that, that Braden led us in as, as far as I just want to be where you are. That, that's it. That's that continual gaze. It comes with a natural reflex just to say, Lord, you are the author and the finisher of my faith. I just want to put my eyes on you. We need that today. And, you know, all the, the noise and the, the busyness of life, we need to be in Christ's presence as often as we can. And so that's what I want to challenge us with as we close this morning. Get your jars filled up, pour them out, and let it keep being refilled. Put your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are amazing. You are absolutely amazing, Lord. And I stand here so appreciative of what you have done for me and my precious, beautiful wife. Lord, absolutely amazing. But Lord, the greatest thing that could happen today is people responding to you and surrendering to you and allowing you to do those things that you desire to do for us to give you glory and, Lord, to our lives to make a difference in this world. We need to make sure that our hearts are filled with you. And Lord, above all else, thank you. Thank you, God, for this amazing church and the responders and the givers and the prayer warriors. I pray, God, let encouragement fill this place, Lord, that you are doing a new thing like we heard last week, that it is springing up in the desert, God, and the desert around us, the world is dry, but Lord, in the midst of this church family, you are doing a new thing, and stir up, God, that faith, Lord, that absolute miracle that we have seen before our eyes. Lord, remind us when we go through trials that you can do amazing things, God, and we underestimate your power and what you can do, Lord, as we pray, as we call out, as we fight, and stay filled with you, God. That's our heart's desire. More than anything else in this brand new year, Lord, let us focus our eyes upon you, that fixed gaze. We pray in Jesus' very precious name. Amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord. And if you're, if you're able to stand for a few moments as we close and worship, let's do that. Let's give God all the praise and all the glory.